Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. I want to read some of these disappointments, and then we're going to probably say them again a little later. Divorce, adultery, loss of a loved one, prodigal sons and daughters, loss of a job, failure. You know, when I was in high school, I fell in love with basketball. And I played and played and played. I taught myself how to play three, four, five hours a day. And I didn't make the team the first time. But then when I made the team, my coach sat me on the bench for the next two, three years. And it was disappointing because my senior year, there was a write-up in the local newspaper that said upcoming players on different high school teams. And my name was listed in there as an upcoming player. And I thought, this is going to be my year. It's my senior year. And I did not get to play. I felt like I was berated by this coach. Obviously, coaches sometimes, you know, could be tough, but it, it was a little bit different. There, were, there was cursing. There were things, negativity that I just began to accept, even though I was frustrated and I became disappointed. And when I got free from all that stuff, I realized there were multiple things that the Lord was setting me free from. He told me to pick up a basketball again, which I thought was funny because I spent the majority of my time worshiping an orange ball. That was my idol for a while. And I was trying to find my significance in it. So when it didn't work out, I blamed other people. I wasn't trying to make it to the NBA. That was not my concern. It was about doing something great to prove myself to other people. But God didn't ask me to do that. He doesn't want to take away everything. But he doesn't want everything to become your identity. And then he still wants to give you the desire of your heart if your identity is found in him. Well, I'll tell you one last thing. Then I went to a junior college, just a a community college in upstate New York. And I was going to school not knowing why I was going to school. I wasn't getting good grades. I was just there, not knowing what was next. And I was just playing intramurals. And the coach walked by the basketball team and he says, you should go out for the team. And I kind of laugh like, yeah, right. You know, if I can't even play for the high school team, what makes me think I'm going to play with all these guys who were the all-stars on their teams in high school? And I thought about it and went out for the team, made the team. The, The first game I played more minutes in that one game than I did three years of high school combined. But then I get injured. I got injured so bad I was on my back for almost a month. And I had a really bad uh, hamstring injury that affected my lower back. And I didn't know what was going on. And I'm, now I'm even more frustrated. Like every time, have you ever felt like you tried to make it somewhere? And then you get right there and then it, it doesn't happen. It, 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 it's almost like it just backfires on you. Does that make sense to anybody? I hear about this opportunity for 
youth pastoring. So I come down here and we would play basketball with the kids and stuff, but I, I began to just put on a lot of weight and I wasn't really interested in, in trying to prove anything through basketball anymore. And I was trying to prove myself through youth pastoring. And you see, this is how disappointment works and controls your life sometimes is that it jumps from one area to the next because it makes you try to feel like you're, you're in control long enough until he pulls the chair out from underneath you when you try and step out and do something else. See, the only one who sets us free is Jesus. And it's not time. It's not where we just get fed up with it enough. The enemy is smarter than you and I. And in that sense, we have to give him credit, but we don't give him glory. And so what we do is we recognize our enemy, but we understand that the Lord is high and lifted up above him. And his wisdom permeates all of uh, our enemy's understanding and the, and the understanding of our flesh. When I got set free, there were multiple things that the Lord did, setting me free from these disappointments. I go to the Philippines years later after leaving Dagsboro in the mid-90s, and we moved there in August of 98, two months after our eldest daughter, Sierra, was born. We don't know what's going on, but we know we're in the right place. When we get down there, there was a newfound freedom and a sense of destiny. I go through the school ministry. We're at the revival for a while. And then we move to the Philippines. Do you know what the number one sport is in the Philippines? Basketball. Do you know how many men that I've reached through basketball the last 17 years that we were in the Philippines? Because I, that's where the lost is. You, you go to where they're at. We go sit, play basketball. I play three, four days a week, sit down with them. And they say, so what do you do here in the Philippines? I always want to know, why are you here, white guy, you know? And so we start talking. I said, well, here, let's go out and grab something to eat afterwards. Do you know there's men that I've been meeting with for well over 15 plus years? People that haven't accepted the Lord, some have, and yet there's, it, it amazes me. In fact, even one time, uh, the Lord spoke to me that I was going to meet Manny Pacquiao, who is the famous Filipino boxer. If you don't know who he is, that's fine, you know? But he's one of the most well-known boxers in, in history. He's won several different weight classes. And, and during his boxing uh, years, probably towards the, la the latter part, he actually became a born-again Christian. He grew up very Catholic. His mom is very Catholic, and she's a very interesting lady. Just seeing his picture and all, he's, he's like LeBron James status here in the U.S., you know. Manny Pacquiao is known all over the world. And so the Lord told me one day in prayer that I was going to meet Manny Pacquiao. And I didn't really know how that was going to happen. And I figured, yeah, well, that's just me. Everybody wants to meet him. And so I had three t opportunities within one year to just kind of nudge the door open a little bit and I would meet him and, and all that stuff. But the Lord said, don't kick the door open. See, when you get free from disappointment, you start allowing God to open the doors for you. You start recognizing that you live by faith and it's not by your ability anymore. You, you, you give up, you surrender and you say, Lord, it all belongs to you. I'm not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. 
I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. There was literally a time where a typhoon hit and over 6,000 people were killed. And we were up there doing relief work just less than two weeks after it took place. It was a war zone. In fact, I, I often have said a war zone would have been better because the destruction there were no trees for three hours. And if you know the Philippines, there's coconut trees everywhere. <laughs> and there was literally nothing on the way to Tacloban, the epicenter of the typhoon hit. And we get there and we're handing out things. And I meet a pastor friend from our city because we're several, uh, we're a flight away from that. And he says, hey, listen, Manny Pacquiao is going to be here in a moment. Do you want to meet him? And I said, man, that'd be incredible. But then one of my other missionary friends says, we got to go. We got to go help this family over here and do something else. I'm kind of stirred because I know the Lord told me I was going to meet him. But if I was going to put off what God wanted to do because I wanted to have a picture with Manny Pacquiao, then it was better for me to give that up and to do what God's called us to do there. So I did. I said, okay, Lord, do you know it was shortly after that, that a pastor invited me to his birthday party in our city. And I knew he had a contact with Manny Pacquiao, but I'm sitting there at a table and in walks Manny Pacquiao and he comes and sits across the table from me. And he's got all his entourage with him and, and he's born again now and all these things. I go, what's up? <laughs> We just start talking. He's the nicest guy in the world. So that was the first time we met. We've actually met probably seven or eight times. The second time, I didn't realize this at the moment, but the very first Filipino guy I met in the city of General Santos when we first went on a missions trip in the summer of 2000, his name is Pastor Bong. Isn't that a great name? <laughs> and he's Holy Ghost. There's nothing with bongs for him. And... Uh, and he had a church that, that rented uh, uh, just like a function room in a hotel. And they met there. It's called River of God. They met there for years. And then one day after Manny Pacquiao comes to the Lord when he was fighting in Las Vegas, after one of his fights, somebody led him to the Lord. He comes back to his hometown of General Santos, which is a three-hour drive from where we live in the Philippines. And he wants to find a church somewhere. So he finds my friend Pastor Bong's church. He walks in with his entourage of 30 people and he says, can we make this our home church? Bong is kind of sitting there like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Bong has never been the type of guy who's tried to impress or, or get Manny to do something for him when a lot of people really know he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars and, and all those things. And they have ulterior motives when they meet him. Bong you know, has always been that voice of reason in Manny's ear. And Bong tells me, this is the second time we went to meet uh, Manny. He says, listen, I want you to come to our anniversary. I'm going to have Manny Pacquiao do the, uh, the, the message that day. But I feel like you're supposed to pray for him and bless him. And I thought, wow, what an opportunity. Manny is now functioning as a congressman. And at that time, I believe he was. And since then, he became a senator. And then just this past year, he ran for presidency. He came in fourth. He did not win. But I do believe there's a possibility in the future. When I was there, the Lord had me bless him and pray over him for like 10 minutes during the service. Lay hands on him. 
And afterwards, we ate together with them. And Jonathan, my son, Jonathan, where you at? Raise your hand. Jonathan was not nearly as tall as he is now. At that time, he's about as tall as he is sitting down now. <laughs> and he asked Manny if he could pray for him. And he put his hand on Manny Pacquiao's head. And I go, oh, son, you know, don't, you know, <laughs> I was waiting for an uppercut or something, you know. And, uh, and he prays for him. And Manny was so moved by that to watch these young men and our kids love Jesus. It spoke something to him. And he's sitting down with our kids with his arms around him and stuff like that. And we had told the kids, we're not going to ask him for a picture or anything. And then he turns around and looks at us and says, hey, can I get a picture together with you guys? <laughs> Why am I sharing this? I'm, I'm not sharing to impress you. I'm trying to show you that when we get set free from disappointment, God opens up doors that we never thought were imaginable if we will let him be the one to lead and guide and direct and be fully in control. And since he's done all of that, we have seen, I, I, I play basketball at Manny Pacquiao's house and we, we let him win, but you know what I mean, that we... <laughs> We have fun, you know, he's, he's, he's about that tall, so, you know. But anyway, to me, it's amazing how when we get free from something, God sees our testimony, not what just happened this past week or year. He sees it all, and he wants to redeem everything. So if we hold on to disappointment, what that does is it keeps us from enjoying the love of the Father, and we don't have to find our identity in ministry or work or what we do to try to impress people anymore. We just be who we are in Christ, and out of the overflow of who we are, God reveals his nature and character to those around us and he wants to set them free by using you and me to do it. So I want to talk to you briefly about how does a Christian know if they're blessed and what does it mean to be blessed? According to uh, a definition I saw on BibleStudyTools.com, to be blessed is this. It's God's intention and desire to bless humanity is a central focus of his covenant relationships. For this reason, the concept of blessing pervades the biblical record. Two distinct ideas are present. First, a blessing was a public declaration of a favored status with God. And second, the blessing and death power for prosperity and success. In all cases, the blessing served as a guide and a motivation to pursue a course of life within that blessing. When someone says they are blessing, th that they are blessed, they're communicating two things. Number one, that in Christ, I am positionally blessed. So when somebody is born again, immediately you are blessed. Immediately by faith, you have access who Jesus is and his life and everything that he has made available. All authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth now belongs to you and me. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are sons and daughters. We, we belong to him and everything he has belongs to us. Amen. Number two. A God-empowered life motivates us to demonstrate our faith in Christ. And so we're positionally blessed in the Lord, but then 
When we realize that our life has been empowered by the blood of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it motivates us to want to demonstrate our faith in Christ. We don't use blessing to impress people, but we allow God to bless us because he's a good father who wants to do those things. And we honor him, but we do not allow the blessing to become our identity. And in our freedom in Christ, blessing continues to follow us. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to increase and have more and, and all of that. But what it means is that we learn how to be sustained. Paul said, I've had a lot and I've had a little, but I've learned to be content in all things. Proverbs 10.22 in an amplified classic version says, The blessing of the Lord, it makes truly rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. Neither does toiling increase it. Friend, you could be a missionary in China or some Iranian missionary who is harshly persecuted and still feel like you're completely blessed because you're not running away from what Jesus has done for you. You recognize what Jesus did, nobody else could have done. And he has set you and I free and given us the ministry. We've been reconciled to Christ, right? 2 Corinthians 5. And now we are ministers of reconciliation. That means the disappointment that God sets you free from, he wants to empower you to be sensitive to go set those people free from those very disappointments that struggled and controlled your life. John Kilpatrick said this, a blessing is the way that God's favor and goodness is transmitted through the spoken word. While prayer is petitioning God and prophecy is speaking the future, blessing is speaking out what you would like to see happen. I believe that many of you are going to get set free from disappointments tonight. And that's a wonderful goal. We could go home after that. But I also believe that he wants you to declare the blessing of the Lord over your life. And for you to have new patterns of thinking that as God renews your soul, your mind, your emotions, and your will, that you would recognize the fullness of Christ that dwells within you so that you can be free to be who he's made you to be in every area of your life. Three things. Number one, Israel was blessed to be a blessing. We're talking about blessing. I'm almost finished. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families or the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You ever heard somebody said blessed to be a blessing? That's where this comes from. When, when we're saying blessed to be a blessing, we're, we're not saying that when we're blessed, we hold it into our, for ourselves. But a truly blessed son or daughter of God wants to give it away wants to share with the world what Jesus has done in our life. And you can only have that desire if you're free from disappointment. Because if you're not free from disappointment, then you're selfishly going to hold on to your sin and not give it to the Lord. And neither will you want to love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
It's impossible for us to have the love that God wants to give and demonstrate through us if we're holding on to disappointment and trying to control the flow of the Holy Spirit through our lives. We have to completely surrender. And when he spoke to Abraham on that day, he did not realize what God was going to do with him or with Israel. The reason why God chose Israel and, and, and said, these are my chosen people is not because he wanted to, um, you know, elevate them amongst all the other people in the world. No, God's plan of redemption was to help lead Israel to the Messiah so that as we are grafted in as Gentiles, right? Romans 9, 10, and 11, we don't replace Israel as God's chosen people, but we get grafted into what he's already done. What are we being grafted into? The plan and destiny of God to redeem the world from the curse of sin and death. Now, I know that's a lot that I just said, you may be familiar with replacement theology. It says the church replaces Israel as God's chosen people. If we believe that, then we cannot accept God's promises to Israel because they would be remaining unfulfilled. He's called Israel to be a light to the nations. And since God is fulfilling his promises to Israel, this is why Paul said the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. The purpose of Israel is to not, for, again, for God to elevate them above everybody else, but to simply say, I have a plan of redemption. This is the way that I've chosen to do things. Paul said, I went to Israel, but they did not want the message that I carried that Jesus is a Messiah. And so the Lord spoke to him to go to the Gentile. And so that's why Paul ends up in Rome and gives his life for the gospel because he went to the Gentiles. And the goal of the Gentile church must have in our mind that the, in order for the Great Commission to be fulfilled, we must value Israel first. And I'm not just talking about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm talking about actively saying, what can we do to be a light to Israel, to make them jealous that we have the Messiah that they're still looking for? All right. I know that's more than probably what I should have said, but I know this is that the purpose of the blessing of the Lord for Abraham was to be a blessing. Number two, Jesus was cursed so that we could be blessed. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Again, this is the Amplified Classic Version. For you are becoming progressively acquainted with and recognizing more strongly and clearly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his kindness, his gracious generosity, his undeserved favor and spiritual blessing, in that though he was so very rich, I like that, yet for your sakes he became so very poor. In order that by his poverty, you might become enriched, abundantly supplied. So in Jesus, Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians that Jew and Gentile become one. And it, what the blood of Jesus does is it qualifies us to be able to receive the blessing of the Lord. And right, I, I think it's in Proverbs where it says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. Number three, in Christ, we have become a part of a kingdom of priests to be a blessing. 
Second Peter 2 9. But you point to your neighbor and say you. <laughs> you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You and I are priests in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying you're a Catholic priest or uh, an Anglican priest, okay? I'm saying you're a priest according to Jesus' priesthood. And in the order of Melchizedek, that Jesus fulfilled for you and me. That means we are all full-time ministers of the gospel. We are all, if we see it that way, then we understand again, like I said this morning, that the purpose of leadership is not to do everything for you, but to help you to come into your identity and fulfill the destiny that God has for your life. So it's important that you see yourself as a priest who's been set apart for God for such a time as this. I want to read a blessing over you that is in Numbers 6, 22 and 27. It's known as the Aaronic Blessing, and it's the New King James Version. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. You are a part of the Aaronic blessing. You are set apart, not just as a son or a daughter of God. See, the enemy wants to keep you bound in disappointment so you don't see yourself for who God sees you to be. And the freedom that we have in Christ should be expressed and not held back by comparing ourselves to others. I would encourage you to read on your own Deuteronomy 28, which is the blessings and the cursings. The word bless appears 700 times in the Bible. Blessings in scripture come from the Hebrew word baraka. It means transmittal or endowment of God's goodness and favor through the spoken word. Jews believe that once baraka was spoken, that the spoken blessing carried great power. Once spoken, the words took on a life of their own and could not be retracted or recalled. Isn't that awesome? It's important what you speak over others. When blessing is released out of your mouth, the things you desire to see to come to pass over yourself and another person, place, or thing will, will come about. Jesus did not pray over the bread and fish. He blessed it. God multiplies not through prayer, but over blessing. God will not just answer my prayer. He will over answer my prayer. When we understand the purpose of blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more 
or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.